Hello, Precision Insights podcast listeners. This is your host, Dave Wolf. I'm with Genexus Healthcare Systems, and today I'm thrilled to take you on another journey related to precision medicine and precision prescribing. In today's episode, our guests for this journey are going to be Sue Paul, pharmacist, and Dr. Amy Van Milligan. And if you guys don't mind just introducing yourselves, I'd, I'd welcome that. Thank you. Hi, so my name is Dr. Amy Van Milligan. I'm board certified in internal medicine as well as pediatrics. Um, I'm honored to work with Sue Paul at Crossroad Health Center. We are a really urban uh, setting for a federally qualified health center. And so we have a lot of patients who are facing um, many challenges in their life, uh, including health literacy and economics. I'm Sue Paul, I'm a University of Cincinnati pharmacy graduate. And um, I've been on quite the journey of uh, pharmacy and innovation, and I've been able to have the pleasure of working with Dr. Van Milligan for the last six years in a primary care office, helping manage medications for chronic disease states. And I know, Sue, you wear some other hats as well. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I She keeps herself very busy. So back in uh, 2016 is when I started here. I really recognized that, um, you know, I was doing med recs with the patients and often um, they would say, oh, I'm not taking that medication anymore. And a lot of times it was a mental health medication. And they'd say, oh, that doesn't work for me. I was having terrible side effects. And I had been introduced to pharmacogenomics two years prior to that and had learned as much as I could. And so I proposed to the um, practice to possibly start pharmacogenomic testing here, um, especially in the mental health space, so that we could help uh, better target which medications the patients may be responding to. And so from that, one of my spinoff companies is called PGX 101. And what we recognize, I recognize that there's not enough pharmacists or providers who know the science behind pharmacogenomics. So we started facilitating a 20-hour certificate training program in pharmacogenomics, and it's just kind of taken off from there. I've also been involved in Metapreneurs, which is a national conference for pharmacy entrepreneurs. Um, I kind of started that at the ground level. At the moment, I've taken a backseat to um, the advisory board, but it's still going strong and they're in the, their fifth year of the conference. So, Fantastic, Sue. And, I, and I'm one of the, the early attendees and graduates of PGX 101. I, that's where Sue and I met. I really appreciate that and have actually sent some students through her program as well. Yes. It's fantastic. Dr. Van Milligan, I've got, got a quick question for you. Yeah. When, when Sue approached your clinic with this term called pharmacogenetics, how was it received? So I was really interested in it. I thought it sounded fascinating. One of the really tough things about my job is I have very little outpatient psychiatric training. So despite you know doing a wonderful combined training program at a very good institution, what I didn't realize is I wasn't really going to be prepared for all of my patients with severe depression, for all of my patients with chronic post-traumatic stress disorder, for all of my patients with chronic anxiety disorder. And even though I now work just a couple of miles away from a variety of mental health agencies, it's still a six to nine month wait for one of my patients to get into see psychiatry. And then some of my patients who suffer from substance use disorder 
aren't automatically qualified to see a psychiatrist at some of the mental health agencies. So then even though I really feel like they would benefit from a psychiatrist seeing them, it's sometimes feels like it's near impossible to actually make it happen in this space. So this is that tool that you bring to your clinical decisions around, let's look at the patient's DNA and how they react to medications, mm -hmm. kind of eliminating some of the trial and error. Mm -hmm. Is that probably a true statement, Sue? And yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and I think for a lot of our patients, they come in sometimes being very hesitant about trying another medicine. They, you know, they've already are feeling a little burned out or like they've been a guinea pig because they've been tried on a variety of medicines. And especially for my patients struggling with substance use disorder, their medication regimen changes every time they go to a new treatment center, every time they get left up in a different legal facility, you know, their meds get readjusted and switched around. And so it can be very hard to find clarity and to get the patient on board to try one more time. And sometimes even though Sue and I take a really good medication history to the best of our ability, at the end of talking to them, we're still confused about which ones might have helped or not been helpful and which one to blame the side effects on because um, it's a very confusing picture, especially if patients are uh, using drugs or um, suffering from other medical conditions at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So you have the conditions, you have the environments they live in, you have the medications they're on. Now you've got this, this new data, the PGX mm -hmm. results. And in your clinic, as I understand, it's a little bit easier to order those tests, um, being an FQHC, correct? Correct. It's super easy, actually, to order. So um, Sue Paul, some of our medica uh, medical assistants and our behavioral health consultants are able to put the order in. And probably 95% of the time, I don't worry about payment because it's covered 100% on Ohio Medicaid. And that's by far our biggest payer. For our patients who are self-pay or have private insurance, I always explain to them um, to not pay anything that the company will try to um, get it approved in the case of insurance and in the case of um, self-pay that they will come up with a more reasonable, um, financial, uh, you know, possible price. And for some of my patients, they would much rather, I think, pay for this test than pay, especially some, you know, fairly expensive co-payments for some of the newer, newer psychiatric medicines. And so for many of them, um, when we've approached them, they've actually been grateful to have an option to get some more information rather than just trying another drug or continuing to pay for a drug that may or may not be benefiting them. And I just wanted to add, that's not unique to our clinic. There's labs out there who, who can make it an easy process for any practice to be able to order pharmacogenomic testing. Absolutely. How do you decide what patients you order these tests? So I actually have a presentation about that. So um, good. <laughs> yes, I'm going to try to go through them. So one is what I think in my um, title, I titled it Muddy Waters. So these are the patients where you are really confused. Um, so especially in the space of my substance use disorder patients, they've been on six to 12 different psychiatric medicines. They can 
recall being on almost every medicine you name, but can't recall whether any of them helped. So I think that's one patient, the patient who's tried lots and lots of things, but you're not sure where to go with this picture. Um, I think secondly is the patient who um, has tried several medicines, well-documented, good doses, and they really haven't responded. So maybe major depressive disorder, you've tried uh, two SSRIs and one SNRI at a good treatment dose for at least a couple months, and they're still not getting better because that you know leads me to wonder, is there something unusual um, about their pharmacogenetics that would make us have to kind of think outside the box and use something um, something different. I think the third patient is the patient who's really apprehensive, um, whether you have a patient who has never been on medicine before or a patient who has had a terrifying reaction to medication, um, you know, whether it's serotonin syndrome or whether it is precipitating a you know, manic episode or maybe that you know, long lost uncle or cousin who went crazy after taking a medicine and you can't get any records or more information to figure things out. So sometimes for that patient, you need to be able to reassure them that you're looking at all the possible information and that you're trying to do the best to really tailor the medication to them. And then uh, one of the other, I think, you know, arenas is sometimes when a patient's doing well, but is interested in stopping something, but you're not sure which of the medicines might be the best one to stop because right now they're stable and you're not really sure if you want to rock the boat, but you also recognize that the patient, you know, may have a point, maybe being on three different psychiatric meds long-term isn't in the, you know, sort of their best in interest, especially with some of the side effect profiles for atypical antipsychotics. So, so you do have patients coming to you saying, you know, I want to get off some of these meds. You know, which ones can you take me off? Is it, is it due to side effects primarily or? Who wants to take meds, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, why I got in this business. Buying Munchausen's or, or something else. Most people <laughs> do not want to take medications if they don't have to. Right. Is that what we call deprescribing? I've heard that term used. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't that fly in the face of medicine sometimes? You know, the, the, the patient comes in and wants a medication, right? That's not the case. No. no. <laughs> and I think, you know, some, for some of my patients, especially in like the pre-diabetes range, I'm like, you know, we can, you know, do nothing and wait till you get diabetes. And I am more than comfortable prescribing some metformin or, you know, some of the other medicines. But to me, it would be far better to prevent the diabetes in the first place, to take, you know, what we know about your insulin resistance and change diet and change exercise and maybe consider medicine as a preventive strategy rather than waiting, whether that's two years with COVID or maybe five years before COVID for you to, mm -hmm. you know, cross into the realm of a disease that can cause long-term havoc on your health. And most patients, I think, are interested in trying to do something for their health. Now, sometimes it's not always the best guided of which, you know, supplements they may be taking or crazy diet strategies they may be following, but I think our patients want a more active role in their health and want to understand more and not just be, you know, handed yet another pill for their pillbox. Yeah, I, I see patients uh, taking more control over their care and collaborating with their practitioners a lot more than generations before. You know, part of it, and I think COVID had something to do with it, 
as we, we do more telemedicine, telepharmacy, the outreach is available. You don't have to, to uh, wait in line at the pharmacy to speak to the pharmacist. You've got them right there. I mean, you guys have a unique situation here mm-hmm. with having Sue embedded in the practice, which I love that model. Uh, I see it growing throughout the nation. What are some benefits you see of having a pharmacist on your care team on a daily basis? Yes. So I think being able to spend more time with patients. So it takes time to explain what blood sugars mean. It takes time to explain a low sodium diet. It takes time to get into the nitty gritty of an exercise prescription or trying to eat a high folic acid diet for depression. Those are all take time and time is something that most primary care providers are having less of um, with the electronical medical record and, you know, more patients and um, I think less face-to-face time. So I think that that's really important um, being able to spend more time with patients. I think being able to help include them in their care. So very often Sue and the patient have come up with, okay, you know, diabetes isn't at goal, but they've been eating one bag of gummy worms a day and haven't been doing their seven minute exercise video. And so they've already kind of had that conversation and then I can help reinforce it. And we're both on the same page about trying some of those things first. Yes. Can we increased doses of medicine. Absolutely. We can titrate with the best of them, but if we can figure out what happened over these last three months, why is there A1C out? Because it could be that they're not taking their medicine, but more commonly, I find that the rest of life has gotten, you know, sort of gotten in the way. Um, so I think that that's huge. So that's one benefit. And then there's, um, the benefit of being able to help educate patients and us about, you know, medication interactions. So right now with Paxlovid, the new oral COVID drug, being able to figure out what do we have to pay attention um, to. Uh, We're thinking of starting to do more hep C treatment. And so once again, with, you know, that space, you have to be careful, um, especially if there's a protease inhibitor on board. Okay, what other medicines do we have to watch out for and maybe adjust the doses of, And then I am forever grateful that she helps with prior authorizations. They are the bane of everybody's existence. And some of them are really dumb. You know, they want a prior authorization on a generic albuterol. Right. I don't care which one you want to fill. Take your pick. It doesn't matter to me. But, you know, they they still send that, you know, on over a PA for generic lisinopril because the NDC number doesn't match. But that's all takes time to get to the bottom of why isn't this patient getting their medicine? And I don't want them to be wheezing. I don't want their blood pressure to be sky high, but it doesn't sometimes make sense to me when it flows into my box. And I'm thinking they've been on this forever and it's generic. What's the issue? Fantastic. Sue, give me an example of, you've got countless success stories, but can you tell me about a situation and I keep bringing up de-prescribing, but kind of walk me through the path with a patient that you encountered and uh, tell me about that success story. So uh, I had a patient with diabetes, uncontrolled diabetes, who was drinking a 12 pack of Mountain Dew per day. And he didn't realize that the sugar was not good for him. 
And so we, you know, you know, I'll give patients a sample of, uh, I like the sparkling ice type flavored waters. It's got the fizz, it's got a taste to it. Um, we talk about if they prefer caffeine, we'll give the crystal light with caffeine. And um, so just giving them uh, substitutions, giving them samples of it so that they can actually try it and they're able to decrease their sugar intake. You know, I've been able to take patients off of insulin just because, you know, I work for them and I tell them, you know, medicine's important. To, and it's the bridge to get you from where you are to where you want to be. And if you can make some lifestyle changes, we can start taking some of these medicines away. And that is what deep prescribing is in my mind, being able to eliminate one of their blood pressure pills, being able to get rid of a couple of their diabetes medications. And then in the case of mental health, once we get them on the right medication, sometimes we can start to reduce the doses and or some of the actual other medications that they're currently taking. Fantastic examples. So, so it's kind of a holistic approach to the patient. And having Sue as part of the team allows for the, that time and coaching. Mm -hmm. And how often do you follow up with these patients? Because, you know, once you have a plan in place, I'm sure you have checkpoints. Yes. So oftentimes for our diabetics, we'll have a checkpoint of six weeks. So even though the A1C won't have shown full benefit from the changes made, we'll be able to know that the patient is moving in the right direction and often provide reinforcement to keep up the good work, maybe add another five minutes of exercise or start working on another food that might not be helping um, their sugars. And then for um, hypertension, typically we'll follow up with one month if they weren't at goal. So whether we made a medication change or whether we talked to them about smoking or about exercise or gave them the salty six handout from the American Heart Association, we'll usually follow up a month later to see where they're going. And certainly if at that next visit, their blood pressure still isn't at goal, then we will do our best to uh, possibly titrate medicines. But we like to at least try the alternatives first if we can, because really you know, lifestyle changes are going to get their whole body to a healthier spot and decrease on, you know, side effects and all those ugly things. Another Absolutely. way that we can help deprescribe is making sure that the patient is using the medication correctly. So we've had a patient who comes in with a once a week injection of, you know, of, of a diabetes medication. And they say, well, I'm not using that anymore. It was squirting all over the place. So that type of thing. So just an additional touch point, additional training. Here's what you need to do. Inhalers are crazy. They seem to change formulary every six months to a year, but just making sure the patient knows how to use their inhaler appropriately can help with um, deep prescribing also. Fantastic. So, so they look forward to coming back. I mean, how many actually come back? Or if you have somebody that you know could really use the help, how do you reach out? So I actually think our patients, they're, they're actually pretty good. Like if it's a patient Sue and I typically see together, they probably have a higher appointment keeping rate mm -hmm. than my typical patient. And I think that because they appreciate the extra time. And as I said, you know, very often 
patients will get us confused and call Sue a doctor. And sometimes they've stopped me in Dollar Tree and called me Sue. And it took me a second to realize that they were talking to me, but they really, I think, feel at home with us and are so excited when they come back in and their sugars are better or their blood pressure is better. You know, I have one patient with horrible hypertension requires four meds. And I saw him for the first time after a major cerebrovascular accident and he is doing so well. It took for, forever. I can't tell you how many appointments to get his blood pressure regimen, right? Right. You know, where Sue was, um, I think going to his house and checking on things and we, you know, make sure that he could tell us, you know, the plan at every visit. And it took such a long Time, but he's now doing great. His um, deficits have almost completely resolved. You wouldn't, I don't think anybody else would recognize any speech impediment at this point. And his blood pressure probably for the last two years has been great. And he keeps asking me, hey, where's Sue? Because these last couple of times he's followed up with me because he's doing so well, but he misses Sue and he wants to see her. So I told him next time that he could definitely come back and see, you know, and see her. But it's really sort of nice um, to have those, you know, patient stories. Like today we had a patient who everything right before lunch, everything was great. Lost five pounds, A1C was improved, blood pressure at goal. And you're thinking, glory, hallelujah, may this give me energy for the next one after lunch, you may be dealing with COVID and the cold weather and nothing is at goal at this moment. Absolutely. You, you made a comment, Sue would visit him at his house. Mm -hmm. Is that, did you say that? I did. I did. So, she saves her home visits for special circumstances when we have no clue what's going on. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So we don't we don't have her do it often, and we do have a security guard who will always come here if she desires. But every once in a while, it's shed a remarkable, remarkable light on what's really going on and what is really in their house, because you can see the meds you've been prescribing, but you have no idea. Once the pharmacy gives them to them, where are they? Are they in a somewhere are they all scattered about are they mixed together it's not good so, so how do you respond to some of that Sue you know they, they've got a, a bag full of medication that so I take the white one sometimes I take the blue one every other day mm -hmm. how do you how do you guide them I guide them um, with my goal is to get them off of medicine so let's, let's take these medicines, see how it works. We'll bring you back in a month. We'll start, you know, if you're controlled, we'll start taking them away. And they seem to respond well to that. Another thing that we do that I think is really important is we give them the tools they need to monitor whatever condition. So if they don't have a blood pressure machine, we send them home with one or order one. Blood glucose, uh, CGMs, chronic continuous glucose monitors. I do a pretty good job of getting prior authorizations for those and setting patients up with uh, CGM before they leave the office, instruct them on how to use it. And then just by that awareness, I'm like, check your sugar before you drink that pop. And then after you drink that pop and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it really, they can see us working hard for them and so they, and, and then they see benefits and rewards and they're feeling better. And so then they tend to come back and like that. And they probably refer friends and family too, correct? Mm -hmm. 
it's word of mouth that grows and the impact is, is fantastic. I know we have had some, especially for the pharmacogenomic testing. You know, a family member will have testing done, we'll get them on the right medicine, and then they'll send their cousin or whatever. We've had, I've had a couple stories like that. And then we have a small treatment center and everyone wants pharmacogenetic testing. Everybody. So why, why is that? I think that's because they have heard from the other residents there that, hey, you know, Sue and Dr. Van Milligan were able to figure out better medicine for my anxiety and depression. And for many of these patients, in my mind, it was their chronic anxiety and chronic depression that led to, you know, sort of self-treatment, which led to the addiction in the first place. And so I think they really buy into, I want to get my mental health at a better spot, but I'm not sure how to do it because I've been on five or six different regimens in the last three years at different treatment centers and primary care offices and psychiatry offices. And it's just really hard to sort out. And you're mentioning mental health, and that seems where the where the strongest adoption for pharmacogenetics has been, even on the payer side. But there's strong evidence in with cardiology, mm-hmm. pain management, and opioids. Yeah. Do, do you see that as well in your practice? I'm here in hypertension, and I'm sure that goes with the, the statins also and the, the PGX impact on, on certain you know, side effects that sodium may get on Simvastat, for example. Mm-hmm. We don't use it as much in that scenario. As far as the clopidogrel, that type of thing, we can extrapolate the data that we have. We have two different tests that we can use. One is a 37 page. It's pretty, pretty complete and has all that other information like the statin, SLCO1B1, and some additional genes, 20, I think 28 genes versus the 15 genes that we use on our other tests. But, you know, we, we leave a lot of that to the specialists. The impact on hypertension meds, you know, that's a response thing. If the patient's taking their medication and it's not working, we'll just switch it. Exactly, exactly. And the side effect profile, although you need to manage it, it's, it's manageable, right? You could try a different one if they're seeing strong side effects. Any other quick success story you want to talk about? I, I love hearing about these with the yeah, patients. So yeah. I have one that I was going to talk about. So uh, this is Sarah, not a real name. She is a 32-year-old who was admitted to one of our local um, substance use treatment centers. She came in with three years of opiate use disorder. So she initially started snorting Percocet with her boyfriend, and then unfortunately moved on to snorting um, heroin, which was probably really fentanyl. That's about all we're seeing. And talking to her, you could tell that it was a long time battle with depression and anxiety that led to this. So she was seeing counselors and psychiatrists throughout her teen years. She took Praxel and Prozac for years, never really seemed to help much. And so then, you know, down the road, she ended up using other things and got hooked. She came to us and she very much knew she was over-medicated when she came to us and she wanted to get off medicine, but she also didn't want to jeopardize her recovery. She had fought long and hard to get to a stable spot. So even though she knew that she was on too much, she didn't want to stop anything suddenly. So when she came to us, she was on buprenorphine, 16 milligrams daily 
Lexapro 20 milligrams daily, Wellbutrin 300 milligrams daily. So, you know, pretty much max, maximize of, of those. And then Resulti 0.5 milligrams daily and Trazodone 50 milligrams daily. So a lot of medication. Um, and so we pretty quickly signed her up to do the pharmacogenetic testing because um, in our mind, we weren't really sure between the Wellbutrin and the Lexapro, which one would be better. Um, and then we also usually do the MTHFR gene um, testing. And so for her, what was interesting is she was actually homozygous for changes in that. And so our initial start for things was to prescribe L-methylfolate and see what happened. And she said that she really felt like that helped her mood as well as her concentration. She was at a treatment center, you know, where they're doing a lot of book work and um, classes and things like that. And she really felt like just that supplement made a big difference. So that was our starting point. And then of course we're into, okay, how can we de-prescribe? And um, in this case, the um, pharmacogenetic testing did help us with that, as well as looking at side effect profiles. So one of our first things to stop was the resulty. Number one, I didn't have a good indication for it. There was no hint of bipolar disorder. Number two, it was a severe gene drug interaction. Number three, it's expensive. And number four, I have no experience with it. So for all of those reasons, resulty was kind of the next one that had to go by the waste, you know, kind of the next change we made. Um, so we stopped that because I, I figured that it was a pretty low dose, started pretty recently, and uh, certainly didn't seem to be the backbone, if you will, of her medication. And so next we took on the trazodone. So the trazodone, you know, was low dose and really talking to her, it sounded like it was started mostly for insomnia. She was going, coming into a new treatment center. And so even though it can boost the effectiveness of the other ones, we, we felt like that was a good next step. So and we de-prescribed that and she was still doing well. And then of course we had to get down to the nitty gritty, um, the more serious stuff and trying to decide, okay, what to do with the Lexapro and the Wellbutrin. Um, and looking at our pharmacogenetic information, the Lexapro was the one with a moderate gene drug interaction. Um, she was also a little bit concerned about, you know, weight gain and some other side effects. So um, the next step was slowly, slowly, slowly weaning that one down. And unfortunately, even though we went slowly, she still had some of those brain zaps, but she pushed through. She was still excited to be on less medicine. And then eventually she was able to even go down on her Wellbutrin XL from 300 to 150, continued to do well. And then eventually her opiate um, use um, disorder doctor started weaning her buprenorphine. And she was very vocal that she felt like this testing helped her figure out the path, helped her feel more confident that we were on, you know, sort of the right, the right way, you know, the right journey. And so it really, really, I think made a huge difference. And she recognizes that although thankfully she's in a really great place for recovery, she still needs to take medication for anxiety and depression. And so she wanted something that was a good fit. Fantastic story. Fantastic and she's story. off of Suboxone. Yeah, off Suboxone. She's married. off of Suboxone too. She's off Suboxone. She's married. Just had a little baby. I'm um, doing great. Oh, doing fantastic. Pretty fabulous. But it was really, 
I remember I was a little bit nervous um, because this was kind of early on in pharmacogenetic testing. And, uh, you know, but yeah, she did really, really well. And it was um, nice to kind of see the response to the L-methylfolate and kind of see that because that was really the first thing we did before we messed with the rest of the medicines. Fantastic. Sue, what advice would you give to other pharmacists who want to practice like this? Um, I do recommend other trainings. So there's some free resources out there like Farm Gen Ed. If, if, if you just Google that out of the UC San Diego, they have a fantastic comprehensive training. That's where I got started before any of these trainings came along. Um, and then also, of course, I do recommend more training just because it's not something that was traditionally taught in pharmacy schools up until I think my uh, alma mater just added a pharmacogenomics course in the last year or two. And so I highly recommend learning more about the science because it does make everything to me make sense. You know, I think you've been through our certificate. You have been through our certificate training, Dave. Do you feel like you had any ahas as we went through? <laughs> multiple, multiple ahas. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. And, and, just, it's, and it's continual learning, though, because it's changing. The evidence is changing. So you have to stay on top of it through some mechanism. Agreed. Yeah. Doctor, what, as you, as there's other providers and physicians in this audience as well, what do you tell them about having pharmacists as part of this, this care team? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I think I love collaborative care. I love being able to work with Sue Paul on Mondays. I love having uh, behavioral health consultants and a diabetes educator. I mean, all of us have different skills and gifts, and sometimes it's just a different way of saying things. Um, and so I really think it can make a huge difference. And I think, especially with sometimes with our brief visits, we sometimes just feel like we're not getting through or this is the second or third visit in a row and their blood pressure hasn't been at goal, but sometimes it's hard to have the time or sometimes even know the kind of the right questions to get to the bottom of it. And so it's nice to be able to have somebody with expertise who can spend some more time, do some more talking. Um, sometimes, of course, we're having to use motivational and reviewing because the patient's not really thinking about change yet. And so trying to kind of move them along um, can be very, very helpful. Outstanding. So you've got a, a certification program coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. So our next uh, training, which includes 20 hours of uh, ACPE approved continuing education, it's with PGX 101, and it's going to be April 23rd and 24th. There's 12 hours didactic work that needs to be taken on online prior to the live event. We've got about a 98% completion rate compared to some of the other um, programs that are out there that are self-paced, which don't have as high of a completion rate. Um, the couple that didn't do it were one, you know, reasonable issues uh, as to why they didn't complete it. But we would love to have people come. Dr. Van Milligan talks about a couple other stories. We offer a low cost PGX test for the attendees if that's so they can see 
what their patients will be seeing. And then we just have some great discussions. My partner, Dan Krinsky is a hoot. And so we try to make it fun. But then it's, after the 12 hours online, it's eight hours live. We've been doing that virtually now since COVID and it goes really well, so. Yeah, and it's broken up into two days. So it's not a full day Saturday and Sunday, it's two half days, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. fantastic. Well, Sue Paul, Dr. Van Milligan, truly a pleasure to talk with both of you about deprescribing and sharing your success stories. It's so uh, encouraging to me to hear these patient stories and, and it's one patient at a time. Yes, and is. if you impact one patient, it's worth everything you've put into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Dave. Yeah, thank you guys.